Right, good morning. Well, it's quite busy on the stage today. How am I going to (laughs) walk? I'm going to trip over something, probably. Okay, well, you're really welcome this morning if if you're new amongst us. Um, So I want to say a special welcome to you. We are going through um, Mark's Gospel. And Mark's Gospel is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, If you think there's four accounts that we know of, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you can imagine, they're all looking in on the event and recording what they remember about it, what they witnessed happened. Mark's gospel is quite a fun one to read because it's really tiny. He just gets to the point very quick. It's fast-paced action-packed book. It's a bit like, you imagine a snowball starting at the top of a hill, and it's moving down the hill, and as it goes, it's picking up momentum, and it's picking up snow, and it's going to smash into something at the bottom, and that is the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Throughout Mark's gospel, uh, Mark uh, records people asking the question, who is this guy? Where did he get this wisdom from? I mean, we know who he is, so where has all this come from? Mark gives evidence. He says, he did this and he said that. And he invites you, along with the other people that he puts into the story, to decide who Jesus is. So that's where we are. Mark takes us on a journey through Jesus. There's active years. That means he doesn't record the birth narrative or anything like that. He just gets straight on in there. And everyone around him is amazed by his teaching and authority. And if you read through, you'll see the word amazed comes again and again and again. They can't really believe. They are astounded, shocked at how this man can do this. Everyone in Mark's gospel is looking at him, crowding around him, coming from miles and miles around to hear him, either to hear his teaching or to be healed by him or to see the spectacle of someone being healed by him. He comes to bring good news of freedom to people and people praise God for him. But throughout, there is a contrast between the crowd, everybody who is rejoicing and praising God for what is happening, and this small group called the teachers of the law or the Pharisees. They are utterly confused by him. He doesn't fit with their ideas of what is religious. He just breaks the rule. He's a rebel, but he does have a cause. He breaks the rules. He crosses the boundaries. He accepts everyone. Jesus is God, and he doesn't exclude anyone. And we'll come to more on that next week. He's like one of the prophets of the past. He's going to head to head with the leaders and the teachers who should know better, and he's challenging their hypocrisy, the injustice and the barriers that they have set up. 
and they're going to kill him for it. Today's passage, again, puts the Pharisees and the teachers of the law against Jesus. And they've traveled 80 miles to tell him that he's wrong. I was trying to think how, what could be, what would be 80 miles away? Anyone know? London's about 70. So they've done this journey, and remember there's no cars, there's no trains, nothing. They've traveled from London to Southampton, that's sort of the equivalent, to tell him and everyone else that he's wrong and to give their opinion of why. Well, Jesus is going to give his opinion of why they're wrong. So let's have a read. Uh, We're going to open Mark's Gospel. It's Mark chapter 7 in these little books. Uh, This one, let me find it as well. It is page 1010. So you can lick that up as well. And um, we're going to read this passage entitled, That Which Defiles. If you're having trouble finding it, give the person next to you your Bible and take theirs. They won't mind. (laughs) Just grab it. It's fine. We'll all be fine. So let's read chapter 7. The Pharisees, okay, these are the people who teach the law, and they're more concerned with rules about being good before God than anyone else. They're the most religious of religious of religious. They take it so seriously. And some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, remember 80 miles away, gathered around Jesus. Remember, everyone is gathering. These guys are now gathering. And saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating food with defiled hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what they might have used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the words of God by your traditions that you've handed down, and you do many things like this. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? 
For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Okay, so let's get going. (laughs) So in this passage, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are challenging Jesus on Jewish cultural traditional practice about being spiritually clean or unclean. It's a little bit, to give you an idea, as horrified as we would be if we're sitting at the bar and we know that someone's just gone to the toilet and they've come back and they're now eating the peanuts in front of us. Okay, so that's where we're at. They are absolutely horrified. It's not the first time they've noticed that Jesus and his closest disciples don't follow the rules. In chapter 2, Jesus is questioned on why they eat and hang out with people that they consider to be the worst in society. Every society has its own rules about what is right and wrong, who's in and who's out. And we start to accept these in childhood with our parents telling us how to behave. That's not very nice. That's naughty. They punish us and guide us. And along the way, we pick up from the general society what is acceptable and unacceptable. In Jewish identity, it was very much about being different to those around them. They were the called out ones. The ones that came out of slavery were set apart to be different. They looked different in how they dressed. They looked different in their customs of what they did on certain days of the week. They looked different in how they spoke to people, who they hang around with and who they didn't. And In order to preserve this identity of being different, uh, what happened was they took the rules that God had given them to make them different and they surrounded them with like a ring fence of further rules that would prevent them from breaking the real rules. Okay, So they take a rule and they add about 400 extras to prevent them. Now, what do I mean by this? Okay, so... Imagine that we're thinking about the rule of adultery, okay? It is wrong for a man to uh, be with someone else other than his own wife. Okay, so this is wrong. This is our rule. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law would come up with a whole load of rules to help them. Now, if we just start. Now, what, what could we do if we, uh, we're concerned that someone might have adultery in our church? I know. What we'll do first is we'll put all the women upstairs, Because then no man in this room could possibly glance at somebody and think, I like the way she looks. So let's get get rid of them. But what if on the way leaving the church, he sees a woman? Well, maybe they could leave at different times. Or maybe, I know, let's cover her up. Because then he wouldn't be able to see what she looks like. Oh, yeah, that's a great rule. Now we've stopped adultery. Oh, but what if he can't see her, but he might talk to her? He might be allured by her soft, gentle voice. Uh, Let's make a rule. Men will not talk to women in public. 
Can you see how the rules were added? And this set of rules became the, like, oh, I've got to look it up, to be honest, so I don't want to get it wrong, the Mishnah. These are like the traditions, the sayings, and they were put in place for good reasons. They wanted to keep the rules, but these traditions also became rules, and they became equal with God's law. And we can see it when religion goes crazy, even in looking at adultery, you can start to see how that happens. They added an amazing 613, 189 pages worth of rules around five verses about being clean. So cleanness is a big deal for these for Jews. Um, and it's not just about being uh, literally clean. They want to be spiritually clean. They are questioning the whole time Jesus. How can he be following God if he doesn't keep these other rules. Notice how they question him on fasting because they had taken one of God's rule about fasting and expanded it. Hey, if God likes fasting, let's make more days of fasting. Jesus wasn't interested. Keeping the Sabbath, we shouldn't work Let's make 600 rules about what is work and what is not work. Because we want to be clear that we're not breaking that rule. And we might, as Christians, it's getting a bit close to home, have some of these rules too. We might be horrified, not so much maybe today, that a student girl might share a student house with a boy. What if they were overcome by temptation? We might laugh or we might think, yeah, that's a good idea. Can you see, though, how we start adding rules when we say, you can't do that? In the past, people have tried to inflict rules. You can't go to the cinema. What if you were to see something wrong? (gasps) You can't listen to secular music. What if you... Can you see how religion adds rules to protect their good ideas? But when they become rules, mm -hmm. Jesus uh, says his kingdom is not like this. He's not about exclusion. He's about inclusion. Jesus comes back to the Pharisees who are accusing him of breaking rules of not following the ways, of not keeping, of not being religious, of not caring about God. And he doesn't come back in a very nice way. Verse 6, he says, Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is one of their key prophets. They are very serious about Isaiah. He says, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Isaiah was getting at the teachers of the law at the time, which weren't following God's rules. They end up in exile. So you're just like them. 
And he doesn't stop there. He gives them examples of how they've added to rules and messed it all up. And he gives this example in 9 to 13 of Corbin, not Jeremy. Okay? <laughs> this makes me laugh. Especially when you look at the definition. <laughs> Now, this is a traditional practice of giving to God all that you would have given to your elderly parents to keep them in their retirement. Remember, in this culture, there's no social welfare system. It's down to the kids. They have big families to take care of them. Um, And you can imagine as granny's getting a bit older, all the siblings are looking at each other going, who's going to have granny? (laughs) Yeah, that never happens now, does it? Who's going to have granny? And one way of getting out of this, and yet still appearing very pious, was to say, everything I would have given to to granny, I've already given it to God. And you're there looking pious because it says, you know, God's saying, you know, give to me everything. Give sacrificially to me. Give more than you can afford to me. You know, do it in worship and praise and be lavish. You say, I would give it all away. But what's on the other side? Granny's still here. Just going to ignore her. And this was happening. You know, they looked pious, but the other siblings knew what was going on. This is honor your father and mother. V, give lavishly to God. And we might have a similar thing. We might have something like, we might have Sabbath over here. Having a rest, resting in the presence of God. And over here, we might have doing stuff for God. And we might fall either way, but use one or the other to let us off the hook. Jesus says, You've used these traditions, the Mishnah, to negate God's word. You've used one rule to let you off another and to make you still look good. But we know what's really going on here. He's showing them that the rules are broken. He goes to the wider crowd now. Remember, these guys are for him, and he's for them. He says, he's telling them really clearly, all these rules that have been put around this, nothing outside a person, like unwashed hands, can defile them. But it's rather what goes in, not what's going into them, what, what comes out of them. Now, defile to us is not really much of a word we use, but especially if we've grown up in the UK and in churches, it's not really something we're familiar with. But if you've got a Muslim background or a Jewish background, you'll know that washing, ceremonially being clean, is really important. In, it wasn't just about health, but it was about access to God. In the laws of Judaism, we have the tabernacle, and inside the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant. And then just outside of it are the priests, and they are set aside, they're holy. They've been, they have to be ceremonially clean to come into God. And all the stuff they're going to use, the bowls, the plates, the cups, they're all the same. And then outside of that, we've got the people, and they need to wash in order to come as well. Okay, but what has happened here is they've used it as a way to separate people. What was just for the priests, just like you guys need to be like that, they've extended to everybody. Everyone must be ceremonially clean. And what happens with that is, um, let's imagine Jesus is here. Here he is. And um, 
Here is the high priest. Hello. And they're very nice. But um, out here is um, maybe the priests. And then out here will be the Jewish men. And then out here is the women. And then out here are um, the Gentiles. And then out here is if you've, uh, you're sick in some way. And out here is like, oh, I don't know if your lifestyle doesn't quite match mine. And then you might find yourself right out here. And you're here, well, you might find yourself right at the back. And all of it is about this separation from God. Like God is here and, and you guys are all over there. And when Jesus comes, he just throws the whole lot in the, in the air. Because who is Jesus is God. What does he do? He just sits down with the poor. He sits down with the outcast, chats to women, goes around chats with some Gentiles, there is no barrier here. He says, you have put in all these rules to create barriers. Why am I breaking them all over the place? Because they are not God's rules. Anyone can come and sit with me. It's why Jesus, when he goes to the temple and he turns over the money changers, gets so angry because they are uh, ripping people off. Who are they excluding from God? They're excluding the poor. My house is a house of prayer for all nations. How dare you exclude anyone? from my father's presence. Isn't it exciting when you think about it? They've been doing all these things. And what does he bring it down to? They've been spending all this time with the in, out. I'm in, you're out, you stay out. I'm not going to go near you because you might be out and then I might be out and then we might be out. Awful. What does he say? It's about the heart. Look, verse 15 Nothing outside a person can defile them by what's going in. Rather, it's what comes out of that person that defiles them. Verse 21, for it's with, within, out of a person's heart, comes what is wrong. What comes out of a person's heart defiles them. Verse 21, for it's from within, out of a person's heart. And then he lists all those things that they might be familiar with, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, blah, blah, blah. You can put all these rules in. Hmm, but what's going on in the heart? You might look okay. Nobody knows that you're jealous. Nobody knows that you are deceitful. You're pretending to be nice. In your head, you're like, I don't really like you. How are you? Nobody knows. But they do know. They know. I tell you who knows. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. You might behave right. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, I've done everything. Ta-da. And Jesus says, okay, go sell everything you've got. Because he sees his heart straight away. So you might look good, but I know that you've got greed in your heart. He knows. It's a bit like trying to deal with the symptoms 
instead of the root cause. Now, doctors will know about this. I'm going to read you some symptoms, and you tell me what's the root cause, okay? You're all going to get this. Number one, there is a dull pain near the navel or the upper abdomen that becomes sharp as it moves to the lower right abdomen. This is usually the first sign. There is a loss of appetite. There is nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain begins. There is some abdominal swelling. There is a fever, 99 to 102 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. What do you think it is? Penicitis, yeah. Now, I could treat the symptoms. I could go, have some paracetamol today. Let's give you a massage. (laughs) I could do loads of things, put you in a nice bed. It's never going to get to the root cause. You need to get your appendix out, folks. And that's a little bit like what's going on here. The root of our separation from, from Jesus, if there is any, is never going to be about what you do or don't do. It's what's in here. That's what separates us, our heart attitude to God. Out of the core of our being comes that which we were not made for. From our heart comes judgmentalism, pride, thinking we know better than others, deceit when we try to appear better than we are, envy when we desire what others have. They have a very nice new kitchen, thank you very much, or whatever it is, or extension. or um, It could be... Um, fear of not having enough that leads to greed. It could be feelings that you're missing something that leads to gluttony. You're trying to fill that space. It could be uh, you need to control people that leads to lust. Can you see how the external, what's happening, is actually truly about what's going on inside? And we might be more honest with some people than others. Our counsellor or whoever might get a whole load of it. But Jesus sees it all. And there's a part of all of us, isn't there, that says, if they really knew, they would reject me. Do you think that sometimes? If, if, hi, how are you? If they really knew what's going on inside they'd be horrified, or whatever it is. I've shown myself to be really kind, but actually I resent what I'm doing. I resent it. I'm really cross with you. If they really knew, would they reject you? I I read about this microscope, okay? It It can tell, it can image objects a million times smaller than a human hair. Yeah, I can't even begin to go there. When God looks at us, he sees everything. It's completely exposed. So the question is, does he like us now? Does he love us now? When we're completely exposed, when we're laid bare before him, when we take off all those things that make us look good, he just sees us as we are. In our brokenness, He sees his child. He bends down, similar to how I might bend down to my children. And I totally love them. And it isn't about what they've done or haven't done. 
I just adore them. And I've got nothing compared to what God, God is not like a human being. He doesn't get turn away from us or have a strop or totally lose it one day and, you know, send you to your room. He, He just loves you. And he's committed to dealing with the root of our problem, which is our hearts. He loves us in everything. He wants to give us a new heart. He puts his spirit in us to change us. Not rules to make us do stuff, but a spirit change within us. As we come to Jesus and we literally say, Jesus, I know you see it all and I thank you that you love me. Please help me to change. Now we're in a great place. Because he promises a new heart and a new spirit inside of us. Um, In Revelation, we read the familiar voice verse to a lot of us. It says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. He wants us to let him in to that most innermost place that no one else sees. And come bring change and light and joy and hope into those places. So let's uh, pray for a moment together. And let's spend a few moments um, thanking God that he sees the microchasm of our heart, our true, uh, our true motivations, and he loves us and committed to giving us heart transplants. And when we turn to him, like the father and in the prodigal son, he, he runs and embraces us. And then secondly, let's ask Jesus to help us as a community of people to be uh, a welcoming community that puts no barriers in anyone's path to coming to Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us to love how you have loved. Help us to be a people where no one is excluded 
that we gather around you.